Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to The Reinvention Project with Jim Rome Podcast. Welcome to Episode 60 of The Reinvention Project with Jim Rome. And I know what you're thinking. Where the hell have you been, Reinvention King? Because we know where you have not been, right here. Knocking out your Reinvention pod updating us on your journey, introducing us to other inspirational and motivational thought leaders who can provide us with the strategies and tactics to help transform our lives. And what about that promise you made to us? Even more importantly, what about that promise you made to you? Yeah, bam, straight fire. You see, like the listeners to my daily radio program slash TV show, I know what you're thinking before you think it. And by the way, Guilty as charged. You're not wrong. And you're not the only ones thinking it. One of my favorite things about being on this journey is the people I've met along the way and some of the close personal friends that I've made already. We don't just check in on each other. We check each other. There is a difference. So there's not just some great group masterminding, but also group accountability. Exhibit A, my dude, David Nurse. Now, if you listen to this pod, you know David. He's a best-selling author, motivational coach, keynote speaker, and a podcaster. Great dude, boundless energy, one of the most positive, upbeat people I know. But like all great coaches, he will demand accountability, and he will push you. And that's what you want. Now, most of all, what you really want is you want to be a self-starter. You want to be intrinsically motivated or self-motivated. You know what you have to do, so do it whether you want to or not. Now, I'm not about to drop some golden nugget on you when I say this, but the people who consistently get themselves to do the things they don't want to do that they know will help them and do them the most often are the ones who win because discipline wins. And if you do it consistently enough, it becomes ingrained. And then it's a part of your DNA. And then you hardly even remember you hate it. In fact, you learn to embrace the hate because you know that doing it is going to move you closer to being the person you want to be and living the life you want to have. And, and the competition is not willing to do those things that they hate. So do what you hate and do it all the time and then love to learn what you hate. It's all a mind game anyway, right? And if you're not playing the game, the game is playing you. Don't let the game or life or anybody else play you. So back to my dude, David Nurse. He texts me to check in and see how I'm doing and, well, to let me know that he was communicating with his speaking agent, the very same speaking agent that he introduced me to a number of months back because he knows I want to hit the speaking circuit. And he says to me, Jim, my dude said you and he had a great talk. So I told him, look, I know Rome would be great at this. I just need to get him to take action. Again, bam. So I thumbed back my guy, David Nurse, some nonsense about my schedule this and football season that. And he said, I know, brother. I'm just giving you a hard time. And my response was, yeah, but you're not wrong. I do need to take action. I do need to make that happen. Another one of my buddies, somebody else many of you know and admire, John Gordon, also has reached out. He checked in on me recently. John is a prolific writer. He's knocked out like 30 books, nearly 30 books. And he knows that I also want to write a book. And he asked me, Jim, how is your book coming? And I said to him, uh, er, you know, my day job just doesn't allow me the time to lock in on this right now, blah, 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 blah. So I'm listening to myself and I know it's all just garbage. Yes, I have a three-hour daily syndicated radio slash TV show. Yes, I have multiple podcasts that go along with that daily talk show. Yes, it is challenging enough just to crush the main thing. 
much less start a second business and then hammer that too. Yes, it's going to require a certain bandwidth to do all those things and still remain present for my family and my staff. Of course, it's not easy. But as a reminder, nothing worthwhile ever is and never will be. The book is not going to write itself. The speaking tour is not going to create then book itself. And nobody is going to knock on my door and deliver on to me a brilliant business plan and a staff for executing all these things. I would say it's all on me to design, create, and execute on any and all of these new opportunities. And to a large extent, it is. However, not fully. Because as I just mentioned, I have friends, friends who have opened doors and introduced me to the proper people who could help me develop these opportunities. So shame on me for not finding time, for not making time, for not creating systems to take advantage of these opportunities. You see, the very worst thing of all is knowing what you want and not going after it with everything you have. Then you know what you're left with? That's it. Regret. Regret is a disease, a virus. It will eat away at you because deep down you know. You know you have nobody to blame but yourself for not taking action, for not having the balls to put yourself out there and to take that big swing. If you're tactical and you're courageous and you go all in and it doesn't work, you can live with that. But you can't live with being too weak or too scared to even try. You can't live with not doing the work. You can't live with lying to yourself because you know you could have done better. You know you could have done more. You know. I know. Listen, I have people tell me all the time, damn, dude, you work so hard. And you've done it for 30 years. And the truth is, I work pretty hard. I do. But I know people who go way harder than I do. I have close friends who go way harder than I do. It's like David Goggins says, when we think we're going as hard as we can, we're really operating at about 40% max capacity. We can do so much more. We can be so much more. Which brings me back to my original point. I have not been around here of late because I was so focused on the busiest part of my year, the NFL season capped off by my biggest single week of the year, Super Bowl week. But that's done. And we crushed it. And it felt great because as a crew, we dug deeper than we've had to in years. And I'm not going to lie. Personally, I hit Radio Row this year with a chip on my shoulder. A chip that said, I still have this. You're not going to run me off. I'm not aging out. I'm not going anywhere. I will still outwork you. And I'm here to do some of my best work 30 plus years in. And the staff and I did execute. And it felt great. But now NFL season is over. And that means separation season begins. I need to once again find my own separation. And very clearly, I will find it doing something I have not been doing enough of, especially in this space. The thing my dude nurse checked me on, taking action, taking intentional action every single day in determining who I am, who I want to be, and how I'm going to get there. The best thought in the world doesn't mean jack if you don't act on it. The best idea in the world doesn't mean jack if you don't execute on it. So yes, I did get swallowed up to a certain extent by my main thing the last few months. And that's fine because you want to keep the main thing, the main thing. However, I've always wanted to make this personal development slash motivation space part of the main thing as well. So it's back on the path. More reinvention pods, more actionable steps towards writing that book, and most of all, taking daily actions towards becoming the reinvented, transformed, self-actualized individual that I promised myself that I would become. It's time to go to work, people. It's time to take massive action every single day, and it's time to be accountable to yourself 
and to the people who matter to you most. Now, I would say it feels pretty good to kick my own ass like that. But again, it's worthless unless I back it all up. Like today's guest, I absolutely love this conversation. And this dude, Stephen Kotler, is a renowned human performance expert, a New York Times bestselling author, a Wisconsin Badger on Wisconsin, a punk rocker at heart, and an all-around badass. Brilliant guy. Brainy as hell. And he is one of the world's foremost authorities on Flow State Plus. He has written a brilliant new book called Nar Country, a book that, quote, aims to decode the secrets of peak performance and introduces you to the elite performers who have changed the definition of what is possible in the second half of our lives. I'm telling you, this is right up my alley. I could not wait to meet and chop it up with Stephen Kotler. And not only did not disappoint, he absolutely smashed the convo. So let's not waste any more time. It's the Reinvention Project with guest Stephen Kotler, and it's coming at you right now. So let me ask you this. Is there something that interferes with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? If so, BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who are specialized in issues such as depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, grief, self-esteem, and more. Connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. Anything you share is confidential, and it is so convenient. You can now get help at your own time and at your own pace. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist. And if you're not happy with your counselor, you can request a new one at any time at no additional charge. Best of all, it is a truly affordable option. And if you're listening to this podcast, for Jim Rome listeners, you can get 10% off your first month with the discount code Rome. How can you not take advantage of that? Use the discount code Rome, R-O-M-E. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com slash Rome. Once again, betterhelp.com slash R-O-M-E. Simply fill out a questionnaire. That way it helps them assess your needs and you'll get matched up with the right counselor that you will love. Betterhelp.com slash Rome. Betterhelp.com slash R-O-M-E. So, Stephen, I appreciate you and your work very, very much, as well as you taking the time to have this conversation today. Stephen, great to meet you. How are you? I am well, thank you. How are you? I'm great. Everything is great here. So, listen, before we get to your new book, Nar Country, which is outstanding, let me sidebar for a moment or two, if you don't mind. First of all, you are a badger, right? I am a badger. You did your homework. I love that. I am a badger. I love that. And the reason I ask you that question is because we have a son who is a senior who is also a badger. And my wife and I, not because of this, but we actually own a home that we built in the Northwoods. So I understand the Badger Mafia. I have much respect for all things Badger. I love it. What was that college experience like for you? It was, it was, it was a, Jim, I, I can't even begin to stress how amazing it was. And it was funny, truth be told, I went, when I got out of Madison, I went to Johns Hopkins for grad school. And I went because I had, I wanted to know, like, okay, I thought all the people around me in Madison were brilliant, like brilliant. And I was like, well, okay, let me go to like this heavyweight Ivy League school, see, you know what I mean, what the students are like, if like I was just out of my mind. I will tell you that across the boards, teachers, students, quality of everything at Madison far outweighed what I experienced at Johns Hopkins um, in terms of quality of education, quality of minds, keener thinkers. And the group of people I, ca- I came through college with turned into a group of badasses. So Madison is pretty good at producing badasses. I know. I love that. And I'm not surprised at all, Stephen, to hear that. There is a Badger Mafia, and I mean that the best way possible. So I am really, really proud that my son went there. He's going to finish up this year, and he's so much better for it. One more thing, another sidebar before we start. Actually, it's part of the book. In the preface of the book, you you reference that 
you also are kind of a punk rock guy. I want to ask you, what is oh, yeah, the most? By the way, we have this in common. My yes, answer yes. To question, you already know what. Rise again. What? Okay. And I believe that's also your favorite band. Okay. Y- yes and no, right? I mean, yes, it is. Okay, not and- recently. Not right. recently, but if you go back always. No, I mean, if I go back further, first of all, I love Rise Against. I know you've got a Chicago background, so you beat me to that. I was going to ask you, I will give you my favorite band in a minute, but first let me ask you, what is the most punk rock thing that you have ever done? Oh, for sure, I learned to ski on a converted garbage dump. So did everybody else in the Midwest, but that's definitely the most punk rock thing I've ever done. <laughs> That is tremendous. All right, so I love Rise Against. Love, love, love them. So before we get into the nuts and bolts of the book, one last thought. Where do you come out of my actual favorite band ever, The Replacements? Oh, I come out pretty, pretty. I mean, hard to be a Midwesterner. Grew up in Chicago, born in Chicago, grew up in Ohio, went to college in Madison. Hard, hard to be a Midwesterner without being a Replacements fan. Um, that's funny that that's your, that's your favorite. I would, that I would have never guessed. Yeah, because, and the reason for that, you're right, you, I mean, they're a Minneapolis-based band. Strangely enough, Stephen, even more off the beaten path, they, I went to college at UC Santa Barbara, and I knew a guy, you know, this long before there was any kind of social media, any kind of network, and this kid grew up in Malibu, and he had a good ear, a really good ear, and he said to me, you got to listen to this band, you got to listen to this record, and when Tim dropped, I want to say 1991, I, I just couldn't believe it. I'd never heard anything like that. It was the most amazing thing I had ever heard. So you're talking about a college kid in Santa Barbara who took to that band. Oh, wow. Were you also a Husker Du fan? Yes, Absolutely. Absolutely. And then if we're going to keep going down that path, I already know the answer to this question because I never get the answer I want, but I already know the answer, but I'll just ask anyway, the clash or the jam? Oh, well, it's the clash. Of course. Of course. I, <laughs> I, I, I personally, I'm a jam guy, but the next person who says the jam when I ask that question will be the first. So clearly I'm wrong. Anyway, Stephen, I believe me, I could do this all day long, but I want to ask you about NAR country Growing Old and Staying Rad. This is your book. Absolutely love the title. Lay it out for us. What exactly is NAR Country, and what is the book about? The book is about peak performance aging. Oh, quick, short summary. We'll, I'll, I'll get into more great de- detail in a second, but let me define the, the, the title for you. So NAR is action sports slang. It's, it's short for gnarly. And action sports, despite like the the crazy slang that they use, action sports lingo is actually very, very literal. They're they're a very literal minded group of people trying to stay stay alive in very dangerous situations. So gnarly is literally any environment or situation that is high in both perceived risk and actual risk. Country, you know, any defined territory, landscape, or terrain. So the reason this matters is I, after, especially after studying peak performance aging uh, for as long as I did to kind of create this book, NAR country is a great definition of our later years, high in perceived risk, high in actual risk. And it turns out when you get into the science of peak performance aging, it also turns out that it's a fantastic description of sort of the gritty mindset uh, required to thrive during those later years. All right, so now we're talking. Now, the thing about this, Stephen, you didn't just study this. You put it into practice. In other words, you put your own ass on the line to see if what you studied worked in practice. So exactly what did you do, and then what happened? So uh, let me give you a little bit of background. I have been poking in and around the field of peak performance aging, or you, you couldn't even call it that, but I've look, been looking at, at, at like healthy aging, successful aging, a whole bunch of different things for almost two decades at this point. And um, one of the, 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 the standard ideas in, in, in about, so the old idea about aging, let's just start there, is what I like to call the long, slow rot theory. And you've heard this. This is all of our physical skills, all of our mental skills, they decline over time, and there's nothing we can do to stop the slide, right? And this, one way or another, this is still where most people are towards aging. And it turns out that's not true at all. It turns out that all the skills we used to think decline over time Uh, They do decline over time, but they're used to lose its skills. So if you never stop using those skills, you can hang on to them, even advance them much later in life than anybody thought possible. Simultaneously, we know that 
for to preserve mental function, cognitive function. Uh, you have to, lifelong learning is really key. If I were to go one level more technically, the best way to preserve cognitive function is to develop expertise and wisdom. Expertise is like all the stuff you're learning consciously. Wisdom is a very distinct neurobiological trait, but it's basically all the stuff you learn unconsciously, non-consciously. But they're, they're very, wisdom and expertise are very diffuse, broad networks in the brain. And most of the things, challenges we face later in life are localized. So if you've got really diffuse networks in the brain, you've got redundancy and, and, and that sort of thing. Now, lifelong learning really was interesting to me because there's all, I mean, we've heard your entire life, my entire life, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And but I was reading all this stuff in, in my own field, flow science, and then in neurodynamics, which is like the network level of brain activity and body cognition, a bunch of other whiz-bang fields, don't, doesn't matter. But I basically was looking at everything that these fields were saying, and I said, you know, if they're right, I should be able to learn really difficult, challenging physical activities, you know, over 50. So I decided at age 53, which is when I started this experiment, to see if I could teach myself how to park ski. Now, park skiing, you know, if you remember Eileen Gu in the Olympics, it's Eileen Gu, but with gray hair. Um, it's the discipline in skiing that involves doing tricks off jumps, on rails, on boxes, on wall rides. It's very acrobatic um, and it's incredibly dangerous. And for about 14 different biological factors, it's supposed to be almost, well, if you're trying to learn it over the age of 30, 35, it's considered really, really, really difficult. Once you get to 40, 45, it's, you're moving into like downright impossible. And by the time you're in your 50s, people are just like, you're out of your mind, you're crazy. And but I had a bunch of research that I had been reading that said, no, 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 not so fast. So we, I took it, I blended it together into a protocol. And mind you, I, like I was a good skier, but I had zero park skiing experience. I, I knew no tricks, not, not one. And I made a list of 20 tricks that would cover like zero to intermediate. And I figured if it took me five years to get there, um, great, cool. Okay, then whatever, I, I succeeded. And I, I started running the experiment. Nobody even thought I was, you know, they didn't even think it was possible for it to take out in five years. I learned every trick on that trick list in a season. And that was shocking, shocking. And my ski partner, who's 15 years younger than I am, 20 years younger than I am, and was a former sponsored athlete, sponsored park skier, actually. So he had a lot of experience park skiing, but he had gotten injured, had three kids, family, job, you know, and I walked away from it. And then came back, used my same protocol, and he got farther faster than he'd ever gone before. And that's sort of the, what's covered in the bulk of the book. But at the end of the book, we talk about the, what we did the next step, which is I'm very suspicious. If something works for me or a friend of mine, like, okay, maybe, but will it work for everyone? Like at the Flare Research Collective, we train people in 130 countries. So we're global and I need to know it's gonna work for everyone. So the following season, we gathered a group of 17 older adults, ages, 30 to 68, zero park, park skiing experience in the vast majority of them. And we took the exact same protocol and four days on the mountain also taught them to park ski. And they got so much farther faster than me. So that was when we were like, oh shit, we're onto something. This is, this is real. This is working. We've since taken the protocol, removed the action sports element from it um, a little bit as much as we possibly can and used it as just a peak performance aging training, which we've run about 500 people through. And everybody at the, on the back end of that has gotten really successful results with the protocol as well, which is why, you know, I feel comfortable standing up in public and talking about it. Holy shit, there's so much there. I mean, Stephen, like, so what, I, I don't know if there's an elementary or easy answer to this, yeah, there's, but, but what is the protocol? And then does it apply to everything? It's okay, so let me, let me sum up peak performance aging in a single sentence for you. Yes, good. And then do we that. Can define, and then I can talk about what these terms actually mean because they're they're kind of specific, right? But it turns out, and it, it, what's interesting about this is most people approach aging um, wrong. I mean, really, really wrong in a lot of different ways. But like all the things I'm about to say are not the tools that most people reach for when they want to have a, a healthy second half of their life. But what the research clearly shows this is overwhelming in the data is if you want to like rock to your drop basically you have to regularly 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 engage in challenging social and creative activities that demand dynamic deliberate play 
and take place in novel outdoor environments. So let me just break that apart for you. But yes. like that's it in a single sentence. Um, there's an overwhelming pile of data in healthy aging and successful aging in, in, in all those fields that challenging social and creative activities are absolutely key to thriving in the second half of our life. In fact, social activities are, are more, if you're obese, it's more important that you have regular social contact than you lose weight. If you're a smoker, it's more important that you have regular social contact than you quit smoking. Like it's that powerful of a tool. Um, challenging and, and creative are really necessary because they, they unlock the two most important feelings for peak performance aging, which is a sense of mastery and a sense of control. Both, um, both are really, really powerful. They're two of the most positive emotions humans can get. They both show up in the state of flow. They're sort of built into that state. And among their many other psychological benefits, both of them, uh, they boost the production of T cells. So those are the you know cells that fight meet, uh, disease in the body. And they also produce, uh, increase the production of natural killer cells. Those are tumor suppressors and then target other six cells. So that's really key. The deliberate, dynamic, deliberate play, dynamic literally means, so if you want to, peak performance aging means you got to train all five categories of functional fitness. Not a big surprise. These are all user loser skills. So you got to train strength, stamina, balance, agility, and flexibility on a weekly basis. Um, in fact, the, the World Health Organization has, we, we know exactly how much training you need for peak performance aging and for healthy aging. Um, so like that, that's that work been, has been done very, very clearly. Um, dynamic, dynamic activities are any activities that utilize all five categories of functional fitness. So I used action sports, but it's interesting, like when they compare, they've done a lot of research on this, comparing like, what are the best sports activities, not including action sports for health and longevity. And, um, turns out. Tennis is number one, badminton is number two, soccer is number three, and way down on the list is like joining a gym, swimming, running. The things most people tend to do um, are way down on the list. And one of the reasons is soccer, badminton, and uh, tennis. First of all, they utilize a lot of fast twitch muscle response, which you have to train over time or it atrophies um, and goes away. And when it goes away, we lose balance, we lose agility. This is why adults fall down all the time. It's why you know, breaking up, falling down, breaking a bone is the most common killer of older adults. If cancer and heart disease doesn't get you, you're going to slip and fall, break a bone and die from a secondary infection. I mean, once again, Steve, so, so, is it so much in that. So, I mean, these are physical things that we're talking about, but let me follow up on something you've written that I find please. amazing that I, that I need you to talk about. You say, quote, aging is a mental event as much as a physical process and oh, yeah. a shift in mindset could add seven years to our lives. End of quote, a shift in mindset to what? And then how does that extend your life for that period of time? Okay. So, um, this work, it starts with, uh, uh, the woman, uh, well, I think of as the godmother, godmother of peak performance aging, she, she's considered the pioneer of successful aging. Uh, and the godmother of positive psychology, her name's Ellen Langer. She was at Harvard. She started looking at mindset literally back in the late 70s um, and started uncovering all kinds of crazy things. It then, so much so that they started what's known as the Ohio Longitudinal Study of Aging and Retirement. It was a 20-year study of thousands of participants on how a positive mindset towards aging, which literally means I think the second half of my life is filled with exciting possibilities. It's a growth mindset towards the second half of our life. That's all it is, right? And um, it produces, um, why does it add seven and a half years? And they're healthy years too. It's not just like you, you live seven, seven and a half more years, but you're going you're gonna to be miserable and sick. They appear to be really healthy years. A lot of it is, so all of Ellen's work um, is on, the mind-body connection. So a lot of a lot of uh, what I'm actually talking about with mindset is also about you know the it's, the, the field is neuro neuroimmunology, right? The the relationship between the mind and the body, the the, the mind-body thing got a bad rap, so now we call it neuroimmunology. But it's literally 
positive emotions have a radical impact on how we age. And more importantly, one step down. There are nine known causes of aging. There may be more, but that's what we've discovered. And there are now, by the way, billions of dollars and dozens of biotech companies aimed at each one. So that's really exciting news because um, it definitely means that most of us are going to be old for a lot longer than our ancestors and maybe a lot longer than we expected. Um, simultaneously, all nine of them have inflammation as their root cause. Inflammation is essentially the largest cause of aging. Inflammation is always produced by stress. One of the big causes of stress is a shitty mindset. So um, changing your mindset definitely lowers stress levels. It also seems to unlock a lot of uh, learning. Um, once you sort of have this new belief about what's possible, um, you, you start to be able to, a growth mindset is required for learning. So like, that's really helpful. And uh, Jim, I, I, I got to say, because this was my own feeling, like people, you know, people talk about, oh, shift your mindset as if it was easy. You, you, I, I, I hate, Stephen, I never interrupt, I but you knew I was going there next. I was going to say, yes, but is there an easy way to shift your mindset? And what yeah, is the process so, for doing that? I mean, look, maybe, look, I'm, I'm, I'm trained as a journalist. And I work as a scientist, so I'm incredibly skeptical by both like training and profession. And I've got like 50 years of skepticism to back me up. I, it takes me, I have my tooth filter is really, really, you know, I'm very cautious and it, I don't take anything on faith. If you are a person who can do that and you can just sort of take my word for it, shift your mindset. Well, amazing. That's astounding. Congratulations. I can't do that. I found my when I went out and started learning this impossible activity, right? This thing that people told me I was going to put myself in the hospital, I was going to die, it wasn't, I would never get anywhere, you know, all this stuff. My mindset started to shift very quickly. Like a couple of, a couple of three, four, five moves in, I was like, oh my God, what the hell am I learning how to do? You know what I mean? I was like a month or two months in, into the season and I was already, you know, we, we, took a three-month video review. If you go to the website, narcountry.com, and you watch, there's an introduction to park skiing. This is a funny thing. So there's a professional uh, park skiing commentator. His, his, his real name is Nick Reimer, but he, he goes by Steep Steep. He's a big YouTube channeler. And I, I'd never met him. I just thought he was funny and had a penchant for telling the truth and loved park skiing. So I literally sent him all the footage from my three-month you know, experiment in park skiing. And I said, hey, look, I review this footage. Feel free to make as much fun of me as you want. I don't care. Just tell the truth about my progress and use, you know, and then please just explain to people what park skiing is and so they can understand it. You can watch where I was. You can go check out that intro to park skiing video. You can watch exactly where I was after three months. And I mean, I still look like an advanced beginner. But I'm sort of a stylish advanced beginner, and it's kind of amazing that a 53-year-old guy got there in three months, and that's Nick says the same thing in the video. Um, so uh, it's fun, and anybody can watch that. Yeah, I mean, Stephen, I, th I think that is amazing, but it makes sense to me. But you said it yourself. I mean, you are a scientist and a journalist and obviously gritty and athletic and a punk rocker, you know, pretty fucking rad. But what if somebody's listening right now and they just, they're stuck, man. They're stuck in a rut and their mindset sucks and they understand that theoretically mindset equals quality of life, but they just can't get there and they do not have a good <laughs> mindset. Where do you go? Where do you start? How do you improve this is, mindset? Yeah, this is a, this, this, we're moving a little bit out of peak performance aging and more into general peak performance. But um, you're really asking a question sort of about burnout, right? Like where do you do when you- like, There's you that. Just, as our, yeah. you're, you're, you're out of gas. Right. I was going to say, yeah, so, there's, there's um, certainly that. Like, for instance, and, and not to finish the thought, but you also talk about hmm. the antidote for weariness. What about that? What about burnout? What about mindset? So the research is, is, is pretty clear on burnout. Um, and the number one, we always, when you're burned out, um, first, we, we, you, you got to start all this stuff by tuning up your nervous system. Right. You got to You got if, if you're burned out, um, you need to get control of your nervous system. And there are three. This this isn't even like 
fancy peak performance. This is what I like to call the positive psychology basics. Positive psychology has spent about 30 years just sort of trying to figure out what are the basic things you knew you, you need to do to kind of just have health and happiness, that sort of thing. And there's uh, on the mental side, there's three things they recommend for like dealing with burnout and overwhelm and all that stuff, either a daily gratitude practice, a daily mindfulness practice, breath work, right? Or ec regular exercise. And you're exercising for, uh, for your nervous system. You want to exercise until it goes quiet upstairs in your head, right? The voice in your head gets really quiet and your lungs open up. That is a signal that the brain has released nitrous oxide, fancy, fancy word, gases signaling molecules in every cell in your body. When it gets released, this is why exercise is so good against stress and inflammation. When it gets released, it pushes all the stress hormones out of your system. So one, the first thing you got to start, you got, you got to do is sort of pick one of those. I always tell people like, if, if you know, on a normal day, do one of those things a day. Gratitude practice takes five minutes. Mindfulness, the research shows if you're just going for stress reduction, 11 minutes uh, a day is enough. Uh, so if, if you're a little more stressed out, do two a day. If you're burned out, probably want to do three. The other thing you want to do when you're burned out is so, you know, you know, I, I work, I'm, I'm, I'm the executive director and the founder of the Flow Research Collective. Yes, sir. We study the state of consciousness known as flow, being in the zone, runner's high, whatever you want to call that. Flow is technically defined as an optimal state of consciousness. We feel our best and we perform our best when we're in flow. Now, more specifically, it's any of those moments of sort of rapt attention and total absorption. It's so focused on what you're doing on the task at hand that everything else just starts to disappear. All aspects of performance, mental and physical, go through the roof. So we all, everybody has what we we have dubbed, for lack of, this is not really a, a word in the scientific literature for it, a primary flow activity. This is whatever you've done since you were a little kid that sort of drops you into flow most frequently. For me, it's skiing. For my wife, it's hiking in the backcountry with the dogs. For my best friend, it's playing guitar. For another close friend of mine, it's playing chess or gardening or it doesn't, coding, building model airplanes. It doesn't matter, right? What matters is you drop, you get back into flow. In fact, some of the best studies on this were done during COVID. They wanted to know out of everybody who came through COVID, who was flourishing afterwards? Because everybody else was getting their ass kicked. So they wanted to know who was flourishing and what were the contributing factors. And they looked at everything. There were a bunch of different studies that did this. And there's only one factor that mattered. The amount of flow you got during COVID is the largest determinant for flourishing. Um, flow is protective against languishing. Now, languishing is a big, fancy term, but it sounds a lot like old age to me as well. Just besides the point, but uh, so if you're really burned out, you want to be manicuring your nervous system and you want to double down on that primary flow activity. And the research shows if you're really trying to fight burnout, if you can get about four hours a week of that, three to four hours a week of that primary flow activity and sort of like do a daily nervous system check. And of course, then you have to also do the obvious, which is if you're burned out, you're probably not getting enough sleep. And the research is really clear. We need seven to eight hours a night and you can't skimp on it. And I always like to tell people, because I get a little a lot of pushback on that one. And I always tell people to push back on the sleep thing. There are a billion IQ tests online. In fact, there's the Wonderlick, which, as you know, they give to every NFL player. And they're online. You can take it for free. Take the freaking Wonderlick one day after you've slept 10 hours or eight hours. And then take it one day after you've slept five or six hours you'll see how stupid you are after <laughs> lack of sleep. You won't ever do it again. Like literally it, 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 instant cure. Like you're like, I'm 15 IQ pints dumber. I'm like two hours less sleep. Like it's a serious drop. You know, I go from, you know, very, very sub subpar to all the way at the bottom after two hours of low sleep. I mean, who's going to argue that point? I mean, it's so true, and I, I hate to say that because I don't get seven, Every eight. I've never gotten seven, eight, but, but it's so it, true. Right? It's so true. So, but in terms, Stephen, it's it's all fascinating. This is an incredible conversation. In terms of flow, though, like it's one thing for you to achieve flow 
or flow state if you're skiing or if your wife, if she's hiking or somebody else is cooking or somebody's composing music. But can you achieve or access or trigger flow on demand for other things that you don't have quite the passion for? Like if I want it for work or I want it for something that I don't, I don't even want to do, but I know I need to do, can I trigger it? Can I access it? Yeah. So um, a couple misnomers about, about flow. So, uh, a lot, Mihachik Semihai is often referred to as the godfather of flow psychology. And Mike's early work um, was, uh, he did some work on like rock climbers and athletes, and he did a lot of work on artists. So a lot of the early work on flow was done on artists and athletes. So it's this misnomer that it's a state reserved for artists and athletes, and nothing could be farther from the truth. For example, the uh, reading is one of the most common flow states on earth. The second most common, so there's individual flow, that's just me in a flow state or you in a flow state. And then there's group flow, which is uh, you know a team or a group perform, performing at their very best. And, and these come, there could be interpersonal flow for me and you. This is like, we get lost in a great conversation, a couple hours go by and, and we didn't notice. The most common flow state on our studies show is interpersonal flow between middle managers talking at work. And in fact, research shows that we spend about 5% of our work life in flow, often without even noticing it. Now, there's a different, one of the reasons this is hard for people is this is the fact, this is the thing that people don't know. So flow isn't a singular experience. Um, it's a spectrum of experiences. It's like an emotion. Take anger, right? You can be a little irked, homicidally murderous, but it's the same emotion, flows the same way. You can be in a state of sort of micro flow where Flow's core characteristics show up, but they're really quiet. This is like you go to work, you sit down to write a quick email to your colleague, and you just get lost in what you're doing. And, you know, an hour goes by, you look up, you've written an essay. Um, that's a that's a micro flow state. Macro flow is, is, is sort of the full-blown, you know, experience where time can pass strangely and self-vanishes and all that stuff starts to happen um, at, a, at a really profound level. But most people, I think, immediately equate macro flow with flow and they don't realize there's there's micro flow and they're, they're dropping into in and out of micro flow all the time hmm. so a couple of things and in terms of uh yeah uh the, the one final thing i want to mention sure. i'm sorry sure i need to cut you off not at all is uh the work i do at the flow research collective um i told as i said we, we train people in, in 130 countries and the bulk the vast majority of who we train are um c-suite executives um slightly burned out executives now we train everybody from like members of the u.s special forces and you know the air force and the san francisco police department all the way to companies like facebook and bank capital and accenture but just that list of companies should let you know that like flow at work is a real thing and it's a big deal let me make one more final thing please, i'm sorry for talking please, so much please please i love it questions. i love it please one final thing. When I say flow is optimal performance, I mean, it's really freaking optimal. So let's just talk about something that everybody wants more of at work, motivation and productivity. McKinsey, the business consultant, did a 10-year study about top executives. They want to know how much more productive top executives were in flow than out of flow. Now, it was a self-reported study, so you got to always take those with a little grain of salt. But they spent 10 years. The research is really thorough. They went around the globe. They talked to a ton of people. On average, that it was 500% more productive. So in a working context, this makes you go to work on Monday, spend Monday in a flow state. You can get as much done as everybody else can do Tuesday through Friday. You're two days a week in flow, and you're 1,000% more productive than the competition. And you asked a question earlier, is it reliable? Is it repeatable? Is it trainable? The answer is yes. We have an eight-week digitally delivered course. It's hard work. You go through it with a PhD psychologist or neuroscientist as a coach, um, and it's definitely not light fair. Um, but on average, uh, we see a 70% to 80% increase in flow. So this stuff is incredibly trainable. It's also very, 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 very important for peak performance agents. Freaking on Wisconsin. So, Stephen, to that point, can you? <laughs> incredible. Is it is it virtually based? How do people get their hands on this? Oh, uh, Flurry. In, in fact, do do if you go to get more getmoreflow.com, anybody is welcome to sign up for a free like it's an hour long um, 
essentially an hour long free coaching call with with a member of my team. They'll talk to you about the class, but mostly they're just going to ask you what's going on in your life, where you at, what do you need, and, and, and describe what we do and see if it's a good fit. But it's basically an hour long free coaching call that anybody can sign up for. Um, and uh, most people, I nobody, uh, and you know, if you find if I'm lying to you about this, you tell me because I'll, then I'll be very pissed. But like. <laughs> You know, anybody who works for me is not allowed to engage in any hard sell marketing. I don't like, it's not okay with me. I, that stuff is gross. I really dislike it. So like the call should be like, most people love this call. They learn a lot about themselves. They learn about a lot about peak performance. And if the class is right for you, it's right for you. And if it's not right for you, it's not right for you. I, I absolutely love it. And I'm not looking for, I, I know you were not looking for a pitch, but I was really curious about that, and I, I think that's amazing. No, I, I, was, no, I was shocked. No, I know. I, I, well, thank like, you for asking. Hey, listen, listen. You know, you know, you don't need to know me well enough to know, but you know, if anybody's doing their job and they're listening, they should follow up if they're curious. And you really got my attention with that. So, really quickly, just a couple of things before you go, and I, I so appreciate all of this. But in terms of peak performance and the kind of peak performance aging that we're talking about, how long should we be able to sustain this? It's an interesting question, and um, some of it is it's, uh, some of it is very hard to answer because fields like regenerative medicine and longevity science, right? They're progressing really quickly, right? When we were growing up, heart disease and cancer were death sentences. Yes. Now, now they're they're mostly treatable, right? And it's Alzheimer's and dementia and, you know, the, the next generation of diseases that get us. But like, so progress is moving very, very, very quickly for a lot of reasons that have to do with technology and, and, a, and a bunch of stuff that we don't have to go into. So I don't know what the answer to that question is, but like there's research that shows, um, first of all, like just to put this in context. So like in terms of use it or lose it feels my favorite example, and this will answer your question is VO2 max. VO2 max is like the upper, your upper aerobic threshold capacity, right? It's what a football player is using, um, you know, in the seven seconds of the play, it's top sprinter speed, it's a bump skier, it's that sort of stuff. And it used to, like everybody was absolutely certain it was the thing they would beat you with. Even if you like came to me and were like, well, we're making all these discoveries about aging, people would come back and be like, oh yeah, what are you gonna do about VO2 max, man? That's gone. And um, it starts declining at 25, gets serious at 35, and falls off a cliff at 50. And everybody's known that forever. But it turns out we've got octogenarian triathletes with the VO2 max of healthy 35-year-olds. The world record holder, I think, is an 80, 88-year-old guy with the VO2 max of a 25-year-old. Um, my point is they don't seem to know if there's an, there's an upper limit yet. Um, it doesn't – I mean, like, it – it seems like we're being able to hold on and advance these skills so much later in life. And I mean, we're seeing, you know, I mean, I don't know who won the game last night because I fell asleep, but if Brady won, then he most certainly did not, um, Stephen. He most certainly did not. Oh, all right. Did he did, they, did he get housed? Yeah, it went um, it went it went very badly for him. It was I, I watched the first like four series and when nobody could make a play i was just like okay whatever it, only, it only got worse from there however i would imagine he is a source of fascination in that he is a peak performer at age 45 even though last night he did not look it he did not like it well kelly slater another peak performer i'm mean, like we're seeing athletes kill it far later what is is less visible but it's there in the record books this is fascinating and nobody really understands what the fuck is going on on this part of my language uh what's going on on this not one? a fucking but problem doc thing. oh good i'm glad um you swear like a truck driver i can swear like a truck driver to develop i can do whatever the fuck i want uh, it's my podcast thing going on in older ultra endurance athletes where 50 year olds and 60 year olds and 70 year olds are beating Folks who are a lot younger than them, and they don't know why it's happening yet. They can't, they literally can't figure it out, and it's it's been happening over the past ten years or so, where they're seeing like these older ultra endurance athletes outpacing the younger ones, which is weird. So, um, not only do, like do we not sort of know? I don't think we know what the threshold is. Um, I don't I, like I don't even think we we know exactly what we're looking at. Because everything we've been looking at said what I just said to you should not be possible. And yet it's happening a lot. So finally then, Stephen, not to make it about me, but to make it about me, 
and also I think others will relate to this, but yeah, and I'm so glad that we, I'm kind of circling back to this because now that we've gotten to know each other a little bit better and we also knew a little bit about, about each other before we spoke, I am 58. I started this podcast and this journey with the following goal in mind. I wanted to ensure that the best 25 years of my life were in fact in front of me and not behind me. So at this age, is it realistic to believe? Is it pragmatic and realistic to believe that the best 25 years physically, mentally, emotionally, and creatively or creatively are in fact in front of me and not behind me and not some bullshit that I'm telling myself, is it a pipe dream or is it real? Well, let me uh, let me just mention the work of Gene Cohn. So Gene Cohn is one of the giant godfathers of peak performance aging. He, he's sort of the founder of the field of geriatric psychiatry. But uh, he did a couple of the law and, he, you know, National Institute of Medical Health Center for Aging, first president, like very, very well credentialed man. Um, he passed away a couple of years ago. Um, but and he was uh, the director of the Center for Aging at Georgetown when he did. Uh, but one of the things Gene Cohn discovered, and this is really freaking cool, is that as we enter our 50s, rather than like cognitive decline and everything else we thought was going to happen, we actually start gaining access to a legitimate suite of cognitive superpowers. In our 50s, thanks to changes in the brain and certain genes that only get activated by experience and a whole bunch of whiz-bang stuff, we get access to whole new levels of intelligence, so problem-solving, abstract reasoning, analogical thinking – whole new levels of access to creativity. And this includes divergent thinking, like outside the box, far flung, the hardest creativity stuff to train, to teach people, we gain access to naturally in our 50s. We also gain access to whole new levels of empathy and wisdom. Now, what's the big deal here? Well, I just listed four of the skills that most experts agree are absolutely critical to thriving in the 21st century. And we get access to whole new levels of them in our 50s. And it keeps going, right? The, one of the things that happens is the two stars of our brain start talking to each other like never before. And this is one of the reasons we get more access to creativity. It starts in our 50s, but it doesn't really meet reach maturation until our 60s and our 70s. So the answer, first of all, like Jim, I think the, 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 the flat answer is, I think you're insane to believe otherwise. After what I've learned about peak performance aging, like I, I think if if you believe otherwise, first of all, you've just, you know, you've just shortened your life by seven and a half years, right? We know that um, the physical stuff, certainly age, the body is going to, you know, it is going to start to fall apart. Can you fight back at a level that is far more significant than anything anybody thought possible? Yes. And is regenerative medicine, which still is very, very, very expensive and not always covered by insurance. But it has, like, at this point, like, tendons, ligaments, and starting to be bones, it can treat most of those problems. So most of the problems that, like, we have as we get older involve muscles, ligaments, and bones, right? Until you get into the actual diseases of aging. Um, it's, it, it's that stuff. And, like, one, that stuff is getting very, 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 very treatable. Um, at, at a really significant level. So, and, you know, I think there's a lot of responsibility on you to really be training your body properly. Um, but yeah, I, 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 first of all, I absolutely believe the next 25 years uh, can be the most exciting in your life. And I, and I think most of us are going to end up believing that fairly quickly. I think we're looking at like a, a total radical shift in how we think about the agent. I mean, I, you got to understand, I'm not the only guy saying this. So at the same time I was writing my book, there's a there's a great neuroscientist, Daniel Levitin, uh, wrote a really famous book on your brain on music, um, was the book that made him really famous. But he just wrote a huge 700-page textbook basically called Successful Aging. Our books basically came out – he kept, it came out like five months before uh, mine or something like that. And I think we must have read all the exact same papers. He had, he didn't do any studies, but he came to all the exact same conclusions. Like it's pretty clear in the data that what you just said is very, very, very true. Certainly everything I've learned in my experiments and my research bear it out as well. The reason for this, after 45 minutes with you, I feel five to seven years younger already. So I think there is something to that. So leave me with this thought before I forget when you were in Madison, 
were the violent femmes playing in and around campus? And oh what were God. they like back then? Because another one of my favorites. And they, of course, are Milwaukee or All Wisconsin right, so based. I, my, my dear friends, Artie Walensky, Chad Gorchowski, two very good Polish Milwaukee names, um, which is where the femmes were from, uh, were really close friends of mine. They used to have some of the most outrageous parties ever. And the femmes would occasionally come up and play their freaking parties. Mm. So not only did I see them, see them play, I saw them play in my friend's house. Yeah, incredible. Incredible. Because what can I say? Those who know, know. When I turned 50, Stephen, we, my wife put on a party and I wanted to have a band, one of the bands of our era in the backyard. And we started chasing and it. it was just absurd. Like some of these bands wanted 250 grand, 500 grand, a million dollars. And the Femmes were one of the bands that I tried to get. And I think they were open to it, but they couldn't do it. We ended up getting the English beat or what's left thereof. So Dave Wakeland was in the backfield. Which is it, what, something. Is, what is left of the English beat? I, I, I think a couple, a couple <laughs> of the guys. And it, it kind of worked because, you know, nostalgia always does. But I, I think that's amazing. Stephen, I can't even tell you how much I appreciate you and your time. For those looking to get in our country, should they, should I assume, they can get it wherever they get their books? Yeah, you can get it wherever you get their books. I don't know when this is going to air, Jim, but uh, the book doesn't go on you know, sale in stores till February 28th. And if you're ordering, if you want to buy it, if you're going to run this before then, I am. Um, if you go to narcountry.com and order through uh, through us, because you know, in any bestseller campaign, pre-sales really help me. So as a thank you, we built. I think it's like. $1,800, $1,900 worth of free peak performance and peak performance aging bonuses for anybody who, who orders early, like hardcore training stuff that that is really incredibly useful. It's free for anybody who just pre-orders it uh, through narcountry.com as a, as a sort of thank you. Um, and they're, they're really, I, you know, over the years, I've started to realize how much fans are really doing me a favor by pre-ordering. Um, it really, it really, really matters. So like, Especially this time, I lean, we, I worked for like over a year building these bonuses for people. So they're really cool. Um, so that's that's there for anybody who wants it. Now, I want to be very clear about what you just said. So this is for a pre-order. It's upwards of $1,900 worth of things that you get for free if they pre-order the book. And where do they go? Narcountry.com for that? Yep. G-N-A-R. Yep. And you can see all the, but if you go to narcountry.com, you'll see all the bonuses. They're very thoroughly broken down. So you can see what you're getting. I love that. And Stephen, tell me one more time, if somebody wants to talk to one of your associates about flow, where do they go for that again? The thing we talked get, about. Getmoreflow.com. Which, by the way, I have to say, is a guy who hates cheesy marketing, hard sell marketing, everything. I cringe every time I say that out loud. But we tried all these other URLs and nobody could remember anything. And nobody, everybody's like, oh, getmoreflow.com. I got that. Click. So I apologize for the cheesy marketing URL, but it, it seems to stick with people and make it easy. That's, hey, listen, what, what value is it if they can't access it and they can't find it? And somebody who's done this for more, more than three decades, I know when somebody has a sincere and legitimate pitch. And this is something that I think has tremendous value and they should know where to find it. Stephen, I cannot tell you how good it is to meet you, how much I appreciate this conversation, how I will continue to access the material. Man, you are the absolute best. I really do appreciate that. Thank you so much. Jim, it's my pleasure. It was really get, great getting getting to hang with you, especially after listening to you all, all these years. What a great concept. I love that. Growing old and staying rad. I mean, what's a better goal than that? Growing old and staying rad is rad as hell. So is his notion that you can make the second half of your life the most thrilling and accomplished part of your life overall. It took me 60 episodes, but I finally found a guest who said, without my prompting, exactly what my stated intentions of this podcast were when I began. I was looking to figure out if it's possible at this age to ensure that my best 25 years are in fact in front of me and not behind me. And if so, how would I go about doing that? And here's Stephen Kotler saying, not only is it possible... And I didn't even prompt him. Not only is it possible, but he proved it. And he's got the science to back it up. He essentially wrote the book on the topic, literally, by, among other things, 
doing something that should not be biologically or physically possible past the age of 35 and learning it and doing it into his 50s. That to me is is, is it. That to me is exciting as hell. It should be for all of us in our 50s and evidence that we can, in fact, do our very best work even in the second half of our lives. And it's got to be even more encouraging if you're younger than that because you can apply these principles right now and live an even bigger, bolder life than you could have ever imagined. Point being, and hear me out on this, it's never too late to start. And if you're a younger person, the sooner you do start and develop these habits and learn these strategies, the more amazing your life will be. Me, I'm going to adopt that as one of my new mantras, growing old and staying rad. My thanks to Stephen Kotler for this incredible conversation. And again, I would encourage you to get his tremendous new book, Nar Country. And if you can do this for me, it would mean the absolute world to me. Please subscribe to the podcast. That way you never go looking for it. It will find you. And if you can leave a review and if you got something out of it and you know somebody who might benefit from it, please do share it. That would be absolutely awesome. I am committed to helping you reinvent and transform yourself. And I'm committed to doing the same thing myself. I'm not asking you to do anything that I'm not doing myself already. So find your mission, attack it every single day. And remember, the only way out is to go all in. Thank you very much for listening. Have an amazing week, and I will see you next time right here on The Reinvention Project with Jim Rome. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.